Good morning. I'm Chris Clark, President and CEO of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. I want to thank you for joining us for our Resiliency and Recovery Roundtable, uh, brought to you here from the Anthem Studios at the Georgia Chamber. I appreciate Anthem for being the sponsor of our studio this entire year. And you can learn more about Anthem and our Chamber of Commerce Health Insurance Smart Plan by going to our website at gachamber.com. You can also get the latest information about COVID-19, the numbers, governor's um, executive orders, CDC guidelines, information at gachamber.com slash COVID-19. We continue to update that with the latest information, both out of Washington, as far as recovery for your business, as well as from our healthcare professionals. So please continue to, to go to that website for us. Um, I also want to remind you that you can register now for our May 18th virtual, first ever spring virtual Washington, D.C. fly-in, where we'll be hearing from our friends in Washington and members of the delegation. So that again, that'll be May 18th. And if you'd like to share this uh, today, you can listen to it again or share it on our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or on our YouTube channel. So um, today I'm uh, appreciative of Dr. Colleen Kraft taking some time to be with us. Uh, for those of you that haven't met Dr. Kraft yet, she is the Associate Chief Medical Officer um, an associate professor at Emory Health. More importantly, she's been on our Recovery and Resiliency Task Force. She is a infectious disease expert, and I'm sure she could tell us interesting stories about her work on Ebola, uh, but we've, she's been our go-to person here for the last year. And Dr. Kraft, we appreciate you and your peers so, so much for what you've done for George and for the whole country and, and all of our team at Emory and the CDC here over the last year, and we appreciate your guidance. But as we keep telling our members, we're not out of this yet. We've still got a lot of work as the business community can do. And so today we want to give an update. I want to spend some time talking about vaccines, but I'd love to just give you an opportunity to do a little blurb and talk about kind of where we are in uh, infections right now and our, our caseload numbers and how Georgia's faring against you know, our, our friends out there. So welcome, Dr. Kraft. Thanks again for being with us. Yeah, thanks for the kind introduction. And it's really my pleasure to work with this group. Um, it's been very inspirational for me, who gets to focus a lot on healthcare, um, to actually think about um, businesses around the state. So I actually really appreciate the opportunity to interact regularly this, with this group. It's really been um, very nice and um, appreciated on my end as well as I've, as I've learned. Um, so, you know, where I go, just as a reminder for people, where I go for my source of truth on how things are going in Georgia, I go to dph.georgia.gov, um, and that's really what I, you know, it's kind of like the weather, you check the weather, um, I actually check the cases of COVID in our hospital on a given day, because that tells me a lot about if we're peaking or, or, or going back down. Um, and so the other place I look is the dph.georgia.gov. So right now, um, you know, the numbers that I can read there are um, that the confirmed cases, we're um, 863,000. So we're sort of nearing that million case mark, um, which I hope is going to slow down a little bit. Um, we have had um, 17,000 confirmed deaths. Um, and I won't go into the rest of the statistics, but the main thing I looked at today and was relieved by is that in this sort of COVID status report, there is a graph of the reported PCR positive cases per 100,000 in the last two weeks. And our area looks, there's for the first time in a long time since I've looked at it, we have a lot of gray, which means none in the counties, and we have a lot of yellow, which is very low. So there are times when I've spoken to this group where we've had our whole state's been 
basically uh, at high rates of positivity in their counties. And so um, this is very uh, reassuring. They're, um, they're on the border with Alabama, we have a little bit of a spike, um, but that also happens as people are traveling and it's hard to kind of read too much into that. Um, so I think in terms of, you know, Chris's first question to me, which was asked sort of off, off camera was about how spring break is really gonna affect us. And I think um, we have a couple things going for us. I, you know, we haven't yet seen, you know, we're not out of that two week window yet, I would say, um, because obviously people's spring breaks varies. We have had a little bit of increase in hospitalization, but nothing staggering yet. I'm gonna knock on wood because I'm kind of superstitious about this stuff. Um, but then also, um, you know, a lot of spring break also happened outside. So this is a little bit different than we were seeing in the winter holidays where when people got together, they were 100% inside. Um, that might provide us some relief from having a spike of, you know, because people are going to a lot of outdoors types locations that maybe the transmission will be less. And even though the uptake of vaccination, um, you know, has ranged state to state and even in our own state in different locations, we do know that um, people are getting vaccinated and adults are getting vaccinated and those being the most high risk individuals. Um, I think that that I'm hopeful that that could actually contribute to us not seeing a spike after spring break. But I don't I don't know for sure, um, but I'm more hopeful right now than I was sort of a lot around the July 4th time and then around the winter holidays. Okay, well, that, that's positive, and I guess it is, like you said, it takes a couple of weeks. Most schools were out last week. I know we were, but, um, yeah, so we'll watch that over the next two weeks. You know, the other, so that's been in the news. The other thing that's been in the news, obviously, is vaccines, and we've been encouraging all of our uh, members to encourage their employees to get vaccines, and, try, and I want to spend some time talking about that, but I think the big news right now is really around the J&J &J vaccine, and listen, as soon as Governor Kemp, and I appreciate him, he, when he, he opened it up, I was there that first day I was eligible. I got the J&J. &J. I felt fine. I still feel fine. No side effects. But there have been some concerns and some action. So tell us kind of where we are right now, particularly with the J&J &J vaccine, and then we can talk about some of the other stuff. Yeah, so it's it's um, a little bit of a lesson in statistics, so I don't want to get too hot and heavy in thinking about it, but remember we're giving an immense amount of people vaccines. So we've vaccinated 6.8 million people with the J&J &J already, and they found six cases of the blood clots. So for me, who isn't so great at math in her head, that's I know that that's one in a million chance, right? So six cases in almost 7 million. Um, so I, I also should sort of pause for this group and remind you that with COVID, blood clots are extremely common because you are so pro-inflammatory. Um, so it really revs up your immune system when you actually have natural infection with COVID. Um, and most of the people that are at least hospitalized have blood clots. So blood clots with COVID itself is actually much dramatically higher risk and actually very much associated. So if you want to try to say, I don't want a blood clot, therefore I'm not getting a vaccine, you really want to be thinking, I don't want to get COVID naturally. So I'm a one in a million chance of getting a blood clot that's potentially not even related to the vaccine versus getting COVID and, and having a blood clot. You know, if you had to choose, you should choose on the side of the vaccine. Now, the other thing we need to know about the statistical aspects of the vaccine is when we're giving so many people and we're really watching carefully, so we are being super vigilant, right? Because we wanna make sure that there's no side effects that are, that are bad from these vaccines. You start to then see what's gonna happen naturally. So you have a population of, like just for the J&J, &J, for instance, of 7 million people. Guess what? Blood clots happen in 7 million people 
during this time, right? And so what what we're trying to figure out, and that's why there's some pauses, and and J&J has been paused in Georgia, that's on the DPH website when I pulled it up this morning, um, that when you have so many people, the natural like the natural history of what happens to people in general and the types of illnesses they get are sort of over-exaggerated because you're watching them so closely. So for a while, the Bell's palsy thing was sort of something like early on with Pfizer and Moderna, people were worried about having increased amounts of Bell palsy. Well, it turns out that Bell's palsy was just like, it, it happens anyways, like naturally. And so it just so happened that we were looking a lot harder for any type of side effects. So I, I hope that's clear. I, what I'm trying to say is when you're vaccinating so many people and watching for side effects, you don't know if it's just like what would have happened anyways to those people. That makes sense. Sure. Just like sometimes I get a flu shot and I get the symptoms or I get the flu or something. There's just side effects with everything and it just, it's going to, it might happen naturally. Right. But, but in that case, you probably did get a side effect from the vaccine, but the side effect is your immune system fighting what, what you got in the flu vaccine and, and getting your immune system charged to fight it in the future. In this right. case, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example, not that anything's happened to me, but like, you know, if I fell and broke my arm the day I got my vaccine, we would not attribute my arm breaking to the vaccine. Right. Got it. So when like I'm, I'm enrolling a patient today in a research study for a, a bad bloodstream infection, we, when we watch people really closely, things that naturally happen, like a broken arm or something else that happens, we don't, what, what we're trying to do is see, are the blood clots just the normal baseline thing that would happen anyways? And we wouldn't have like thought to tally them because we weren't following this big group of people or is it actually related to the vaccine? So that's why there's a pause is because FDA and others are looking into that. Got it. So I have a question from one of our members that said, hey, I got the vaccine. I have a card and the card now says, hey, I've been vaccinated, but also says has a date on there that's about, I don't know, two or three months out from now. But we've also heard that these vaccines are good for six months, for a year. I know it's a moving target because research is still going on. Do people have to go back and get the vaccine again when that, after that date? Is that a recommendation or what, what do you think? So I'd love to see what that card is actually saying. And I'm going to have to go home and look at my card too. Yeah. if I got something like that. So um, to my knowledge, the goal right now is to not give any additional vaccines. It okay. all depends on how well we can control this pandemic. My preference and probably everybody on this call would be aligned in that if we could actually eradicate this from the human population, we don't need to be seeing it like we see flu every year. My preference would be that, you know, where it came from, it doesn't get introduced again into the health, uh, human population. We can try to eradicate this, but we're kind of behind, way behind the ball because we, we've had so much transmission. Um, and with these variants, the longer that this goes on, the more variants, the more changes that can happen. And that just sets us back farther. So I think, you know, my goal would be that we really, if we can buckle down, get this thing eradicated, then maybe we actually don't need to be thinking about it. However, the realistic side of my brain says, you know, if, if this is, if, if our new normal is going to be these sort of ebbs and flows, depending on people's behavior, then probably we are going to be due for a booster in about six, six months to a year, if I had to guess. Okay. So you mentioned the term variant. 
Uh, I think we're all hypersensitive about that term because we've got the Brazilian variant, the English variant, the California and the South African. Any insight on these variants and the, the effectiveness of the current vaccines that we're getting to help us there? Has enough research been done? What it, you know, give us some insight there. Yeah, so there's a couple of things. So J&J um, &J was probably the most tested going forward against the variants because when it was being tested, there were variants that were present. So that at least has some reliability that we know about with the variants. Where they're going back now and looking and making sure there's no vaccine failures. Again, this is like how we're following the population as best as we can. Um, I mean, people have to self-report if they have COVID again. So it's not, it's not a foolproof system, but, but we want to see if, if Pfizer and Moderna have any breakthrough where we're seeing people get infected that had already been uh, vaccinated. So we're sort of waiting and, and, and looking for that type of data. It's not data that we can completely do backwards. Um, and just to remind you what a variant is, I, I like to have my COVID stuffed animal on here. I've not seen that before. So, okay. One of my favorite, um, uh, Little, little help here on my talk. So um, this is the spike protein that you're being given in any of the vaccines, uh, but you're, it's delivered to your immune system in different ways. So you're not getting the whole virus when you get the vaccine, you're just getting the spike protein, um, which is the little yellow thing sticking out here. So when we talk about variants, what happens is this guy, when he goes into the machinery of the cell, remember not going into the nucleus or the genetic code, this has nothing to do with that, even in natural infection. This, this RNA viruses tend to be sloppy editors. So bits and pieces of it change. Sometimes it means the virus can't live anymore. Sometimes it doesn't do anything. Sometimes the changes don't affect the fitness of the virus, but sometimes every once in a while, it's like a, it's like a, a game of chance that the mutations with the sloppy editing or the sloppy copying of the virus will make something that's a little bit more transmissible or seems like it's more infectious. So that's really what we're talking about when we talk about a variant. And the other thing we don't want to see is if we have changes in the spike protein, that's when we get worried about if the vaccines that were being given um, still have efficacy against this particular spike protein. And there's another aspect, and I'm not an immunologist, but I do my best, that these guys, these spike proteins figure out a way when they're mutated to like evade the immune system. So they kind of cloak themselves somehow um, to be able to say, you don't see me, so you're not gonna attack me. Um, so that's sort of the different things we're working, we're looking at for the variant. But again, the more people that are vaccinated, even if it's not 100% against the variant, it's still gonna, it's still, all that stuff is slowing down the transmission because people aren't carrying it asymptomatically. Right, okay, so, more and more of Georgians are getting the vaccine, which we want them to do. So there's a, so when I got mine, there was a little bit of a sense of relief, right? You're like, okay, but I'm still masking up. I'm still being very careful. So give us some advice out there. What, how should people act once they get their second vaccine time to throw everything away and host house parties again and, and go to the club. I mean, give us some, some guidance here. Uh, that all does sound nice, uh, <laughs> but we need to wait. Um, okay. So for instance, at work, I'm masking because I actually don't know if everybody around me has been vaccinated. Um, some of the people I work closely for, with, actually, I know of at least one that's not vaccinated, so I'm not behaving any differently. Um, I will say, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, I did actually go to a meeting um, where every 100% of people were vaccinated. There was about 11 of us. We all sat apart, but we didn't mask. Um, so we were indoors, 
but we are all vaccinated. And if you go to CDC website, they do recommend, they do say that if everyone's vaccinated and no one has symptoms, then you actually don't need to be, um, you know, you can actually not mask. However, that's not the public, right? So we don't know who in the in the public is is vaccinated or not vaccinated or symptomatic or not symptomatic. So really, in terms of business as usual, it's not, it shouldn't change. So you know, you, even if people say I'm not going to mask because I'm vaccinated, and if they're coming into your um, business, we're we're just trying to we don't want to start like the slippery slope of of sort of you know, trying to differentiate that and confirm because people could say they're vaccinated and not be. We also don't want to, we want to have a good, um, we want to sh demonstrate good behavior. So um, I know that wearing a mask is a big downer, but of all the things we have to do to protect ourselves, it's pretty simple. And so trying to keep up that work so that we can kind of watch this taper off would be ideal. Remember, there's also other things you can give each other besides COVID. So let's not have a summer flu season, for instance, because we didn't have a winter flu season. Um, so I hope that's helped. So, so you can sort of orchestrate very contrived, I didn't really answer your question, yeah. places where like, you know, like you're vaccinated, I'm vaccinated, you know, um, or, you know, my, um, my family, my parents came, they've been, they've received both vaccines. Um, they flew on a plane during, in which they wore um, face shields and, and 95s. Um, they're older. So I, you know, was very worried about them, but when they got to our house, because I'm vaccinated, my husband's vaccinated, they're vaccinated. We didn't wear masks together, but that was very intentional and very contrived and sort of like, we're very like all the risk of that, of us being together was mitigated very intentionally. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, we're the same way. M95s on the plane last week, the whole nine yards. I want to I follow this, but shift just a little bit. So in the last, I'd say, four weeks, I've done two different speeches in two communities. One, I was so proud. Rotary Club, everyone wore their mask, uh, even lifted it up when they were eating. I was so proud. Uh, we talked about vaccines. Several had already gotten it. It was really intentional. They thought, hey, we're all we're promoting it. Did another event. 100 people in a room. I was the only one with a mask. People said they weren't going to get the vaccine, weren't believing this stuff is real still to this day. And so I'm, I'm curious, as we all try to encourage people to get vaccinated, those that are vaccine hesitant, what do you say to them? What's the message to those, those men and women? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things, and I've definitely gone through like a grief, anger, denial cycle about a lot of this because it, it's been very stressful. And I've realized that as an inpatient healthcare worker who has seen incredible tragedy over the year that I feel like could have been prevented by mask wearing, there was a time maybe before I took my vacation last week <laughs> and took some downtime for myself that I was very resentful and very frustrated about some of this behavior. I think, um, you know, the, what it comes down to, what I found is the most effective, because I also work in a large healthcare institution where not everybody is vaccinated and there, are, there is still vaccine hesitancy. I've spent a lot of time answering text questions and in-person questions and having little forums whenever, whenever I'm needed is relation, it comes down to a lot about relationships. Now, you, Chris, can't, I mean, maybe you do, but to the hundred people that were unmasked, like 
you can do your best by wearing your mask and trying to encourage them and pointing them to sources of truth. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we can only do the best that we can do. If that makes sense. I'm not trying to, yeah. I'm a little bit more positive about it after seven days of not being at work um, uh, where I can sort of step back and say, um, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little ratcheted up because I see a lot of death from COVID and that's really discouraging to me. And that's, um, you know, it's, I, I just spoke to a private school last night where they were just like, I don't understand if I'm not old, I, I'm not getting a vaccine. And I, you know, you're kind of like, well, but it's not really just about you. It's about the community. Like, do you not have parents? You know, do you not have, you know, we're, we don't, most of us don't live in isolation. Right. Um, so, so I think, you know, the best you can do is provide sources of truth, try to lead them. I think what we found out with social media and that's really impaired public health communication is that we, we cannot control the onslaught of craziness, right? So, or, or, um, you know, counterfactual arguments. Right. And so when I ask people to actually provide me the source that they're getting their argument for, it's not a reliable site but they're looking for something to support their view and guess what? They're going to find it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that about everything. But um, so I, I, I try to say, you know, getting COVID is worse than getting the vaccine. Um, I try to say, you know, it's about the community, not just about myself. Um, it really should have no bad long lasting effects. So there's really no harm to me at all that can come from getting this vaccine. Like I feel lousy for a couple of days, big deal, but what you're, what you're doing for the good of the, of your community is so much better, but sometimes that still doesn't resonate. And I think we just have to continue to love people and try to encourage them. Right. Um, I appreciate that. All, all that's so powerful. And yes, when I've asked people, you know, it's always the same response. Well, Facebook said, um, and Facebook said is not, um, not where you should go for your healthcare information. Well, I also have D down the hall, which is one of my favorite quotes. Um, oh. Some of my friends uh, in the mailroom at Emory, they're like, well, D down the hall says we're going to have to get three vaccines. I was like, listen, where's D down the hall getting their information? So um, yeah. D down the hall is putting things together. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we just talked about this. Will there be a need for a booster if we're still in the throes of this pandemic? I hope not, but I can't rule it out. But D down the hall is not your source of truth. Right. So oh. you, you, you mentioned, um, as you're talking about who's eligible for vaccines, uh, the governor just said anyone 16 and over now is eligible. I'm curious, as a, as a father of a 14-year-old, and we're back in school, but we're looking now at August, do you think other students will have the ability to get the vaccine before school starts back? in August, or do you think we're still going to be kind of where we are today? Yeah, so I'm the mother of a 14 year old and a 12 and 10. So I'm, this is very much on my mind as well. Yeah. Um, so I do think they will. Um, I think, you know, the pediatric, well, here's what I think. I don't think it'll be quite ready for our August, our nice early start date uh, in Georgia for, for school. I think we'll still be sort of in the middle of administering vaccines to kids. Um, I would love it if like we could get it all done this summer. I think that's a little optimistic because I think there's still quite a bit of information that the FDA wants to make sure it's safe in kids. Um, and it should be just fine. There should be no issues, but 
we consider like pregnant women and children to be vulnerable populations. And so we, we want to make sure that we're, you know, we're doing all the right and ethical things um, prior to kind of lowering that, that age limit. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot since, since you got the three kids, are you going to feel comfortable with them going to summer camp this summer? Or, you know, no. Okay. Hey, this is a, Uh, this is, this is a parent question, right? Not a doctor question, but yeah. I mean, this, yeah. So I hope I'm not being too, yeah. So like, for instance, I signed up for the virtual peach tree. I, okay. I'm not, I'm not ready to be it, even if it's going to be, sorry. And I don't, it's like, I want to speak. This is Colleen Craft, one opinion, whatever you want to take it for what it is, I guess. Oh, there's your disclaimer, right. I've, I have, I've realized that the times where I'm really stressed in public or when I can't, I don't really know what it's going to be like. And I, can't control like the mask wearing and the social distancing. So I am choosing to keep myself and my family in areas where we, um, where there's like strict adherence to COVID. So for instance, I do have one, my oldest will be going to Boy Scout camp. They've been doing Boy Scout stuff for, um, for a year. Um, they're really um, practiced at it. I know what the troop's going to do. I know their safety considerations. Um, I have a kid that'll go to day camp but they're going to the day camp in an arts academy that again has been open since August, but has been really, I mean, they've had zero transmissions in all of their activities. They're either outside, they're masked when they're inside, they're spaced out. They've changed their whole curriculum in order to not have transmission. So those are the places I'll be sending my kids because I know the behaviors of those types of camps. Now, if I didn't know the camp, I I guess I kind of answered too quickly. Like we're going camping in the middle of nowhere in Yellowstone. I feel comfortable doing that. (laughs) We're not going to be around other people. Um, So, so we're sort of choosing our activities based on, on kind of mitigation. And to me, if there's any sort of um, real intentionality around preventing COVID, I feel much better. If there's sort of a general, like, we're just going to pretend it doesn't happen and it's an outdoors camp and it's okay if kids get sick because they're not going to be that sick that's when i wouldn't i wouldn't do that so i think what the the message here is that parents need to do their research and make sure that there's camps that are following the protocols or doing the right things i know some of the camps we've talked to said they're you know restricting the number of of kids that are coming so so things like that so do your homework is is the bottom line here that's a that's a better yes thanks for cleaning me up chris (laughs) partnership. I was just imagining like summer camps from my childhood and being like, no, 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 oh, no. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, not at all. Um, let me switch gears. I mean, I mean, you've done a lot of work with Ebola. We, we see, you know, Africa hanging behind your, your desk right there. We're so focused on Georgia and the microcosm that we're in right here. When we get vaccines, what's happening around the rest of the world? Are we seeing access to vaccines um, improving right now? Or are our our poor countries and friends out there being able to get access. What's the what's happening globally? Yeah, thanks for asking that, Chris. It's something that's real meaningful to me um, and something I follow pretty closely. Um, so access to vaccines across the world is much slower than what we have. So you can imagine that wealthier countries. I mean, we we design the vaccines, so it kind of follows that we would supply ourselves with it first, right, or or in a priority way. Um, but uh, resource-limited settings are struggling. So um, 
the U.S. is number one in cases for COVID. This is not something we want to be we're number one about uh, for sure. So I'm talking absolute number of cases. I'm not even talking about like relative to our population. Like we literally have the most people who have had COVID in the world, in our country. Um, so uh, we, if you wanted to say sort of like, well, who needs it the most? Well, the U.S. is not has the most cases because we're not doing a great job in preventing transmission. So we're at least giving ourselves the vaccine. But Brazil, who's at the second place, the silver medalist of absolute number of cases, um, has very low access, right? So they didn't, they, they don't have vaccine discovery um, that's entirely in, in their country. And so, um, you know, some of these resource limited settings are, they, they're just really get, having slow, slow supply. The other thing is that Moderna and Pfizer, if you remember, have to be stored at minus 80. So those are very difficult. And if you think about, um, you know, Africa, where I've been a number of times, it's not a whole lot of minus 80 freezers, even in the capital cities, um, to the degree that we, we might have here. I mean, if we have a healthcare system, we have healthcare systems here that have access to very low temperature freezers. So, um, you know, the, the issues are just so dramatically different. So are they getting, is there access issues? Absolutely. Um, are, are people working on it? Absolutely. I mean, I just had somebody say, my family member got the AstraZeneca while they were in um, Chile or Ecuador. Should they get like a better, but you know, that one's not thought to be as efficacious as some of the ones we're giving here, should they then get vaccinated here? So I'm kind of actually checking in to see, like, does that even make sense to do? You know, can we can we kind of go with what's already happened? Um, so I don't know if that's completely answered your question, but yeah. it's definitely, um, you know, it's just, it is ironic to me that we are so hesitant here when there are like many places in many countries that are desperate to get it. Right. Well, I, th I think our members care because they do business all over the world. They've got to travel all over the world or they maybe want from a tourism standpoint. So we do want our neighbors to have access. Uh, it's, it's vitally important long term. So I appreciate your your work there. Let me kind of wrap up here with one last question for you. So from the chamber's perspective, and we normally do 60 events throughout the year and we've done this is my third virtual today. We continue to do virtual, but in May, we're going to start doing some smaller socially distance, follow the protocols. Even our big event in, in uh, August, which we normally have 1500, will be half capacity, we're still going to require masks. Should we continue to plan that way till the end of the year, into next year? Any, any just advice for, for, for us and our friends and our peers around the state? Yeah, I think we're... Um, I think it's wise, like the timing that you're picking. Um, I think that, I think we have to just be planning like things are going to be like they are now for a while. Okay. Like, do I want them to be? No, but I think it's just safe. Um, I think like, I can't tell you, you know, this was a healthcare meeting I was at at Monday. I cannot tell you how amazing it was to actually sit in a room with unmasked people and so that has really been motivating to me to be like, we've got to get there because it's so much better on the other side, right? So I think, you know, again, having having behavior like you're you're describing at these at these meetings that are that it, that basically does not allow for the transmission of COVID, but allows people to get together, is where we should be. I, I think I think we we need to be doing that for like sort of everybody's mental health. Um, but I don't think that we like by December. I mean, it, it's like, let's plan for the current case scenario. And then we'll be pleasantly surprised if like by December, 
you know, it, it tapers off so much that we don't have to worry about it. But I would say until the end of 2021, I think things are going to be just like they are now, hopefully not worse. Right. But we can all do our part by getting vaccinated, mm-hmm. uh, by encouraging our friends and neighbors to get vaccinated, but to continue to follow the protocols that Governor Kemp and CDC have laid out. Uh, Dr. Kraft, we appreciate you so much. Uh, we'll continue to bring updates to our members. Please share this uh, with your friends and family on our podcast or on our YouTube channel and go to our website to learn more about what you can continue to do as we all uh, do our part as we move through the uh, pandemic. Dr. Kraft, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care and God bless. Likewise.